Yes, well, there are hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of cities in the United States of America. But I can assure you that as of this moment, the one city you definitely do not want to live in or be anywhere near is the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. That city is in turmoil, and it doesn't seem to appear that that turmoil is going to come to an end anytime soon. In fact, if anything, it looks as though that turmoil is about to get worse. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another broadcast, another episode of the National Preview Online podcast, the NPO podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of three easy ways. Go to either the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store and download and search for the NPO podcast and click subscribe. And the alternative, if you wish to use a third-party podcast aggregator app, simply download the free Podbean app, our hosting service, podbean.com, and you can subscribe that way. Whichever way you choose to subscribe, we do ask that you do subscribe. Uh, leave reviews, comments. Uh, the more reviews we get of a positive nature, the faster the show will grow as it will be more readily found in searches on those two aforementioned play stores. And if you have a question for me, Jamie Dury, the host, or if you'd like us to cover a particular topic, feel free to email us at nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com. Well, we all are aware of the trial that's currently underway in Minneapolis of Officer Derek Chauvin and his role in connection with the custody death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. That trial has been going on for, I think, about two weeks now, and various use-of-force experts have testified. Now, I've covered this trial and the issues surrounding uh, Mr. Floyd's death and the arrest, and I told you that if things are on the up-and-up, don't be so quick to believe what the radicals in the media are telling you about it being a foregone conclusion that Officer Chauvin is going to be convicted. The simple fact of the matter is that in homicide cases, as I told you, causation is where it's at. If you can't get past the hurdle of causation, you've got nothing. In other words, it doesn't matter if you can prove that a person engaged in the conduct you allege he's engaged in, if it cannot be proven within a medical certainty that that conduct he engaged in is the proximate cause of the person's death, it does not matter. Yes, there is no question that Officer Chauvin had his knee on Officer Floyd's neck. But if that contact of knee to neck did not produce an injury, and it is not a proximate cause of Mr. Floyd's death, then it is a non-issue. Now, earlier in the trial, you had a lieutenant, who was the longest-serving member of the Minneapolis Police Department. He's in charge of homicide. He was brought in, obviously, to try and help the Minneapolis Police Department save face. He was brought in to testify that he called that top-tier deadly force. Top-tier. That means it can't get much higher than that. That's it. That puts it on the equivalent level of a gunshot, a bludgeoning, or stabbing as deadly force. Now, the problem 
that I have with that analogy uh, is twofold. One, the lieutenant may be a respected homicide investigator, but he's not an expert on the use of force. And those things are two different things. One can be both, but it's clear that the lieutenant is not. He's an expert on homicide investigation. When deadly physical force on the order of a knife or a gun or a bludgeon is used, it results in injury. There's no question about it. Now, it may not always result in an injury that causes death, but it produces an injury. Unless, of course, they miss their target entirely. Obviously, if you fire a gunshot at someone and the bullet misses him, there's no injury. If you slash at someone and fail to make contact with flesh, there's no injury. If you swing a club at someone and make no contact, there's no injury. But when each of these three implements are used and they make contact, they cause injury. No exception. And the injury can range from a minor injury to a severe injury to a death-producing injury. But the one thing that's common to all three is that when deadly physical force is applied and it hits the mark, an injury results. Now you have this lieutenant saying that this was top-tier deadly force, and yet there's no injury. The medical examiner is saying that there's no injury to the soft tissues of Mr. Floyd's neck. And there's no indication, therefore, that it obstructed his airflow. So we have to look to other issues which could be the proximate cause of Mr. Floyd's death. And those other issues could be the fact that he had more drugs on board than you could possibly imagine, including a potentially lethal dose of fentanyl. And he resisted. So there's a lot to consider when considering Officer Chauvin's guilt. Now, the defense brought in a use of force expert, and he said that he thought that Chauvin's knee restraint of George Floyd was justified and not deadly. I also know that back when the AIDS epidemic was big in New York, uh, police officers and detectives in narcotics, when they would put a heroin addict down on the ground, they would sometimes put their knee on someone's neck to keep that person from turning around and spitting at them because they were afraid of getting AIDS. In the early days, it wasn't exactly 100% known how AIDS could be transmitted. So people were very, very apprehensive about having any contact with AIDS patients. And since uh, IV drug use was highly associated with AIDS, any police officer handling a person that was a user of IV drugs uh, was justifiably concerned about contracting AIDS. But this expert, uh, Mr. Barry Broad, said, I felt that Derek Chauvin was justified, was acting with objective reasonableness, following Minneapolis Police Department policy and current standards of law enforcement in his interactions with Mr. Floyd. Barry Broad is a use of force expert that was brought in by Chauvin's lawyer, Eric Nelson. Now, there is an an element of credibility to this because there has been no injury to Mr. Floyd's neck as a result of Mr. Chauvin's actions. It's very difficult, therefore, to try and prove that this is the man that's responsible for Mr. Floyd's death. I agree it was unsightly. I agree it doesn't photograph well. But the fact that something is unsightly and doesn't photograph well doesn't necessarily make it lethal. Uh, In the New York City Police Academy, 
Boxing, I believe, now is no longer taught. Basics in boxing were taught in the police academy for years. Now, the police department would rather not see uh, footage of an officer squaring up with someone and banging him around with a few right crosses and left hooks. But, uh, and they taught a lot of jujitsu, probably because jujitsu gives the appearance when you're trying to uh, manipulate somebody's joints that you're trying to restrain them. In all probability, though, if you put on a forceful jujitsu hold, you could break a wrist or you could break an elbow, and that's considered a serious injury. Uh, If you hit somebody with a punch, yeah, I suppose you could break a jaw, uh, you could blacken an eye, you could break a bone, but more than likely, you're going to put them on Queer Street, they're going to have a minor injury, and you're going to be able to cuff them. But it doesn't look good. It doesn't photograph well. So they discourage its use. That doesn't make it deadly deadly physical force. Um, When he was asked if Chauvin's force was deadly, Mr. Broad responded, I'll give you an example that I used to teach my academy classes. So officers respond to a domestic violence situation. And the suspect is still there. And he fights with the officers. And the officers are justified in using a taser to overcome this person's noncompliance. They tase the individual, and the individual falls to the ground, strikes their head, and dies. So that isn't an incident of deadly force. That's an incident of accidental death. In my review, I would look to see whether the suspect's resistance to to justify the use of the taser was objectively reasonable. Police, that was his take. In other words, if the use of the taser was justified based on the person's um, level of resistance, then anything that fall, flows from that use, this unforeseen falling in the hitting of the head, is justified and cannot be considered deadly force. Now, juxtaposing that to Mr. Chauvin's conduct, Floyd was being uncooperative. And if you look at the entire tape, they went for a great period of time trying to reason with this man, and he became, he looked like he was out of his mind, and he took a fentanyl when he got arrested. As we've discussed before, George Floyd was not a nice man. He was hardly a model citizen. He was a thug who had done five years for a home invasion robbery in Texas, during which he put a loaded pistol to the stomach of a pregnant woman. Not exactly the poster boy for John Q. Citizen. But in looking At Chauvin's conduct, the same standard is going to be used. If the level of resistance would justify holding Mr. Floyd to the ground so he couldn't move around and become uh, more noncompliant, then you can't deem it unreasonable and you can't deem it deadly, particularly when there is no evidence of injury. Now, this isn't the first time we've spoken about the Floyd case, so why am I speaking about it now? Because, one, I said I would be bringing you updates about the Floyd uh, trial, the trial of uh, Officer Chauvin. But more particularly in this case, because on Sunday, we had another police custody death in Minneapolis. A Mr. Dante Wright was shot and killed by a Minneapolis police officer. Now, today... The Minneapolis uh, police chief resigned, as did the officer who fired the fatal shot, an officer by the name of Kim Potter. Apparently, she's a veteran of the 
Minneapolis Police Department. Now, Dante Wright is trying to be cast as some child or some father. Dante Wright was a 20-year-old man. Dante Wright was a father. Dante Wright was wanted for aggravated robbery back in February 11th of this year. He's been on the run since. Dante Wright has video of him posted on social media holding a semi-automatic pistol in his hand, looking like a thug, which is what he was. Uh, And I'm assured, uh, I'm very, very sure, that he had no no permit for that pistol. This is an illegal firearm. Dante Wright, again, was not a harmless man. Now, I'm not saying for one second that he deserved to be shot during, under the circumstances that his shooting took place. What I am saying is, knowing this background information on him, he was stopped for something minor. They may not have known who he was at the time they stopped him, but he knew who he was, and he knew what he was wanted for, and he didn't know if they knew. So at the first available opportunity, when he realized he was going to be cuffed and brought in, because once that happens, a warrant check is, writ- is run on you, even if you were going to bring someone in and give him a summons for like disorderly conduct, the police usually run a warrant check because you can't issue a summons to an unidentified person, and a person who has outstanding warrants does not qualify for a summons. So he knew that if they didn't know who he was at the time... They would in short order, and he'd go to jail for that robbery. So he went to make his move to get away. Now, this officer, in her panic, reached for her taser. That's why she was yelling, taser, taser, taser. Now, they're both implements which are in the shape of a pistol, making for ease of use and less additional training in their use. Now, years ago, when tasers first came into use in New York City, where I live, Uh, It was restricted to supervisors like sergeants and lieutenants. They got the training and they were the ones that were charged with using it and they had it with them. Um, Now, tasers are more commonplace. Police officers can use them. And I assume that since it's always going to be fired with your dominant hand, it's going to be carried on the same side of your body as your sidearm would be and not too remotely located from it, otherwise you couldn't grab it. And so, unless we're going to begin training officers how to fire left-handed with the taser, which may come out of this, there's going to be the possibility in a panic that someone may reach for their sidearm accidentally instead of getting the taser. According to the Minneapolis police chief, Tim Gannon, or should I say now former police chief, that's exactly what happened in this case. The officer meant to reach for the taser, and she reached and grabbed her service sidearm instead and fatally shot Mr. Wright. As a consequence of this, she's folded under the pressure. The City manager was fired because he disagreed with the mayor's uh, remarks that the officer should be fired immediately. I guess they don't realize that due process. It's amazing. These people in Minnesota, uh, big liberals up there, I'm sure this mayor was probably one of the people who thinks that 
the people who are coming across the border illegally, not even citizens of this country, deserve due process. But he doesn't think this police officer, when all the facts are not even known yet, deserves due process to see whether or not she should be fired, let alone whether or not she should be prosecuted. It's, it's great how due process is something we so cherish for those who have no bloody right to be in this country, but people who put their lives on the line every day and have sworn to serve this country, they're not entitled to it. I find that disgusting. Just as I find disgusting this portrayal, retroactively, of Dante Wright as some great upstanding citizen. Dante Wright is another thug who, if he had cooperated with the police, he might have wound up being arrested and charged with that robbery that he committed back in February 11th, but he'd be alive. He escalated the situation by resisting. So all of a sudden, everybody wants to get on the police. Now, what's going to happen if the Chauvin trial, in addition to this, this incident which caused rioting anew and looting in the city of Minneapolis, and I've still never been able to figure out how looting stores owned by private citizens, which have nothing to do with the police department, is somehow justified uh, in the wake of protesting a police custody death. Uh, just an excuse to rob. But Brooklyn Center Mayor Mike Elliott said during a briefing on Tuesday that officials accepted Potter's and Gannon's resignations. We have received a resignation letter from Officer Kim Potter, and in addition to that, we have also received a letter of resignation from the police chief. Gannon previously said that Potter, a 26-year veteran of the police force, mistakenly shot right 20 when she mistook her gun for a taser during the incident. Potter, 48, can be heard on her body camera video shouting, taser, taser, before she opened fire. Whenever through the line of duty someone kills another human being, there must be accountability. Yes, there must be accountability, Mayor Elliott. That's what he said. There must be accountability. But accountability means an investigation, and it means the application of due process pursuant to that investigation. It doesn't mean accountability by innuendo or assumption. Investigation has to be conducted in order to conclude whether or not these things that you believe to be so are so. And so now, once again, the city of Minneapolis is aflame as rioters are going through, doing everything that they can possibly think of to destroy and loot, all on the premise that this how somehow uh, is justified by this seemingly accidental death of a person during the course of an arrest. But people who should know better, uh, and I suspect they do know better, but are just doing it deliberately because they're anarchists, are fanning the flames here instead of calling for calm, instead of being a cooler head, instead of seeing the forest and the trees. We have this piece of crap from Michigan, Rashida Talib, one of the members of the squad, calling for the abolition of the police and is done with people who think otherwise. Well, be done, Ms. Talib. You're a piece of crap. Representative Talib, Michigan Democrat, said the killing of Dante Wright by police in Minnesota was no accident, as authorities there have said, but murder. Well, I would argue that there's a videotape which shows that it wasn't done deliberately. It was done in the heat of the moment, and it was an accident, a tragic one, no doubt, but an accident nevertheless. But she continues, it wasn't an accident. Policing in our country is inherently and intentionally 
racist. Dante Wright was met with aggression and violence, she claimed Monday evening in a Twitter post. Well, Ms. Tlaib, Dante Wright wasn't met with aggression and violence until he initiated aggression and violence. The police were cuffing him in a very matter-of-fact fashion, and he decided he didn't want to go because he knew once he was brought to the station house and his background check was run, it would have been revealed that he was in fact wanted for an aggravated robbery back in February 11th. And so she concluded her emphatic tweet, it says here in this article in the Washington Times, by calling for the abolition of both the police and jails. No more policing, incarceration, and militarization. It can't be reformed. Now that's about as vacuous a statement as you can make. We can't stop crime. Abolishing the police and abolishing prisons is not going to stop people from committing crime. What do we do? What do we do about those crimes? What do we do about those people who commit those crimes? Do you want to live next to the people who commit those crimes? Do you want to be victimized by people who commit those crimes, Ms. Tlaib? What do you propose we do after we abolish the police? and our means of incarcerating them and protecting the civilian population from predators. See, they have no answer for that. All they do is make asinine statements because she's an ass. I've said many times, just as um, William F. Buckley Jr., the late William F. Buckley Jr., famously said that he'd rather be governed by the first 2,000 names in the Boston Telephone Directory by the 2,000 people on staff at Harvard University, uh, I say that you could add up the IQ scores of all of the members of the squad, Rashid Tlaib included, and you wouldn't have the IQ of a pencil eraser. This woman is an ignorant, ignorant woman. Ignorant and irresponsible. And if anyone needs to go, it's Rashid Tlaib, or Rashida, sorry, Rashida Tlaib. But this is the current state of affairs in the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Complete anarchy. Abdication of authority on the part of the elected representatives in the form of the mayor, who refuses to acknowledge reality, instead is catering to a mob of irresponsible and radical leftists who want nothing but the overthrow of the government and the way of life of America. Elected officials in other states to Congress acting irresponsibly and making stupid calls for things that can't possibly be and they can't possibly take place. And this cancerous mentality is spreading everywhere. Even here in my home state of New York, you have Il Duce, Governor Benito Cuomo, putting a convicted cop killer that he's paroled out of prison on a commission to study police reform. You've got to be kidding. You can't make this stuff up. This is surreal. It is surreal. What is going on now isn't just in the imagination. If you think your country is being taken over in a hostile fashion and you think it's being betrayed by the very people you voted for and put your trust in to serve you, you are 100% right and you're not imagining it. We have a concerted effort uh, on the part of elected officials at all levels of government, federal, state, and local, to completely undermine and change our way of life. All in an inexorable march to socialism and totalitarianism. 
They accuse the right of this all the time. The fact of the matter is that they're the ones who practice it. Is it the right? Is it the conservatives who are calling for vaccination passports? You have to show your papers, as in Nazi Germany. Where are your papers? Want to fly a plane? Show me your papers. You think it's going to stop there? They get you to go along with it? And I resent it. I resent it 100%. And I tell you right now, sometimes you do things because you're forced to do it for economic reasons, then you resent it after. I did this time because they're trying to put me out of business and I'm holding out hope that in the 2022 elections, we take the House of Representatives back and perhaps the Senate and put a stop to this insanity. But I won't do this again. I have, as I've said many times, two other businesses. uh, And those businesses require me to interact with the public. If I don't get the COVID vaccine, for many of my interactions, I'm going to have to get a, a test almost on a weekly basis. What am I supposed to do? Get a COVID test every week to continue to be able to run my operations and prove that I'm negative? And if I get a false positive, I have to stop whatever engagements I'm doing in that week and then get people to run my business or shutter the businesses until I'm cleared of it being a false positive or until I've finished a quarantine period. So unless you work for someone who's going to pay you a salary when you get COVID and you're out of work, you're almost obligated to get this vaccine, or you, otherwise you face financial ruin. And it, it galls me that I have to do it. And God damn it, I'm not going to do it again. I can see the handwriting on the wall. I'm hoping that this can be rolled back. They come out with another false pandemic when this one wears out because they're trying to get as much mileage as they can out of this one with variants and then problems with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. But when they think they've got enough people vaccinated where people are no longer fearful of the virus and they give a little pushback, watch, watch what happens. When they think this has run its course and they can no longer use it as a weapon of intimidation and fear-mongering among the general population. You mark my words, and you heard it here first, they're going to manufacture another crisis. It'll be another virus, another pandemic, something that will require you, for the good of all, to render yet another incremental amount of your freedom and your liberty. And this is going to be the watchword. And if you fail to yield, you're going to be called racist, you're going to be called uh, homophobic or xenophobic or any other word they can use to think of you. You're not doing it. You're not acting for the good. You're not being a good global citizen. This is the same crap they give you with the police trying to say that the police are racist because they disproportionately target minorities. I got news for you. They don't disproportionately target minorities. Many of you that certain minority groups commit a disproportionate amount of crime. African-American males are disproportionately represented in crime statistics. And before you out there listening attempt to call that statement racist on my part, I want you to just to give a moment of pause and consideration as to how crime stats are put together in the first place. The police just don't arbitrarily say, oh, we have a robbery, must have been a black man that did it. With the exception of crimes where the state or the government is the complainant, such as firearms possession, narcotics possession, things of that nature, counterfeit money, most crimes have a victim. And it is the victim who identifies their attacker. 
they're robber, they're rapist, etc. Now, since most of these crimes are committed in, these own, in their own neighborhoods, although African-American males do commit a disproportionate amount of their crime as it relates to their proportion or percentage of the overall population, a disproportionate amount of the victims are also African-American. These African-American criminals, uh, these Hispanic criminals, most criminals, are committing crimes in their own neighborhood. So if you have a white criminal, the chances are they're robbing a white person if they're committing robbery. If you have a black criminal, the chances are they're probably robbing a black person. So what incentive do these Hispanic and black victims have to identify their attackers as black and Hispanic? Is it because they're racist too, or is it because they're just identifying who it was that attacked them? See, this little tidbit of information is often excluded from most media reports and is left out of them. Media reports made by that idiot, Don Lemon at CNN. Uh, I don't want to take up any more time today uh, starting a new topic, but I'd like to talk about Don Lemon probably tomorrow and some of the more stupid things that have come out of his mouth. But that's where we are right now. It's not racist to say that African-American men uh, commit a disproportionate amount of crime as it regards their percentage of the population, because it's true. If something is true, it doesn't make it racist. Now, I fully grant that there are probably a host of socioeconomic factors that you would have to look at to see why this is the case, but that doesn't change the fact that it is the case. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.